Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rodoichin. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books, to art, to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. Today my guest on the podcast is Sue Tilly, better known as Big Sue, model for Lucian Freud, friend and biographer of Lee Bowery and doyen of London's nightclub scene in the 1980s. From Judy Blame to Boy George, to appearing as a character in the latter's Broadway musical Taboo, Sue was there and has the stories to match. Today she lives down on the south coast of England, but she found time to stop by Five Carlos Place to talk to me about the new exhibition of her work as well as to relive some of the stories of her extraordinary life. Hi Sue. Hi. Thanks for coming on the show. It's a pleasure. Um, Sorry we couldn't provide you with the Diet Coke. Um, So I survived. Yeah. Um, You like Diet Coke? I love Diet Coke. Always have done always, always for my whole life. When even when it used to be called Tab years ago, <laughs> then they changed it to its proper name. How much do you drink? Only about three cans a day, but it always really has to be in a can. I can bear it in a bottle, a glass bottle, but I'd never ever buy the big plastic bottles because it's not the same. No. Do you drink it out of the can? Yes, it has to be cold. It has to be cold, yeah. and when you go the lid, you go, Psst, and then you get condensation up the side of the can. Yeah. That's a special moment, and I can tell. If you go to a pub and you ask for Diet Coke and they give you Diet Pepsi, I know. And also, difference. I don't like it out of the tap in the pub either. Yeah, because they do something to it, don't they? Yeah, it's not the same. To, yeah. Not right. I like it with ice and lemon, though. Oh, that's, yeah, yeah sometimes I have it yeah. in a glass if I'm feeling hungover because it sort of waters it down a bit. Yeah. Not that I'm often hungover anymore. Um, so are you, do you still party then? Have you... Not like I used to. I mean, I was used to be out every night till about three or four and get up and go to work. But I can't. But now I'm sort of retired. But I do sort of work. But um, but I work in a pub now. Funny enough, in Hastings, Helen, Helen Helen, Hastings. yeah, in my friend's pub. So I'm sort of like a hostess and I oh, DJ right. sometimes. <laughs> the oldest DJ in town. But um, yeah, but I can still sort of go out four nights in a row. But I, the thing is, I don't drink so much. And I can stop myself. I was drinking on Saturday, but then about half twelve, I thought, no, I'm going to stop. Then I'll be fine tomorrow, and I was. So when it was the height of 80s clubbing and you was edu- and going out every night, or f- every night, and yeah. then going to work, did you, you had a job in... A job centre I worked in, in which, which funny enough, I went past it on the way here. Still there? No, it's um, a cafe now, very fancy. But I was, I've got a bit of a tinge of emotion that I saw it. Yeah, oh, I mean, when I was even younger, and I worked in Camden Job Centre... I used to get to work and I just lie on my desk think I'm going to die. And then all my friends used to come and sign on. It was hilarious. I just used to chit-chat to them. <laughs> I wasn't a good example of a civil servant. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you from London? Yeah, I was born in Wimbledon. Then I lived in Paddington till I was six, which I'm still quite bitter that my mum and dad moved me away because it was amazing to be brought up there. But they moved me away because there was like prostitutes and drug addicts. Well, I don't think we knew what drug addicts were then, but drunks outside our house. It was on the corner of Sussex Gardens. Oh, that's really and nice. even then, I was so fascinated. I, you know, I can remember I was about four or five looking out the window being thrilled by these terrible people in the debauchery. 
And I've had a fascination for that kind of thing ever since. What, why do you think that? Why is that? What I about? don't know. What? I think it's exciting and different. And sort of underworld. Yeah. But the thing is, I'm quite sensible, really. But I've just got that obsession with weirdness. What were you like as a teenager? Were you... Well, I lived in St Albans at that time and I went to a girls' grammar school. It was quite a good job, though, really, because if I'd gone to a mixed school, I wouldn't have got any O-levels as we did then. But I was still going out all the time. When I was about 14, I used to pinch drinks out of my mum. Because my, my dad was a bank manager, so he always got given tons of drink at Christmas. So with these huge cupboards full of drink at home, and I'd go with a little shrekful, take a bit out of each one, take it out, then end up being sick. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't know why I'm like that. Because my cousin, she was brought... Because my cousin, auntie's uncles, we lived in the same house in Paddington. And she wasn't like that at all. And we're the same age. Must be some bug. My mum always goes, Susan, where did you come from? I just don't know where you came from. You're nothing like the rest of us. Do you have siblings? I've got brother and sister. Were they like that? Not as bad as me, no. Because my sister got married. She was very keen on boys. She was boy crazy from the age of about 12. But then she got married when she was 20. Just settled down and became proper and had children. And my brother was always very normal. Well, you know, he liked going out, but not like stint I did. Then he got married, then he decided he was non-binary. So he left his wife and moved in with the girl from work, who thinks she's non-binary as well. It's all very modern. Because I was, was a bit bored. You know, people tell you about their terrible families and their problems and their breakups. I was always a bit jealous, because I'd go, well, my mum and dad are married, everyone's normal, but now I've got bizarre stories to tell as well. <laughs> Um, so as well as your Diet Coke, which we'd put into the, our cabinet upstairs here yeah. at Five Carlos Place, what else would you put in there? This necklace that I'm wearing here, which people think it's by Judy Blame, but in actual fact it's from the complete polar opposite of Judy Blame, which is Kath Kidston. And like people always just stop me and say, I love, like the girl who brought me up here went, oh, I love your necklace. Yesterday someone stopped me and says, I love you. Just strangers in the street. Are always stopping me and say I love this necklace. So I wear it most of the time. So it's just buttons, just clipped together, really be easy to make. If you had a nice little drill. But How did you come across this necklace? Well, did you in, walk into a Kath Kidston No, store? it was the one in Selfridges. You know, it used to be, I don't know if it's still there in the basement. And it was just hanging up. There was only one of them. And it just, you know, I thought that's the loveliest thing. It was only about £20. But I've had it for about, oh, 10 years, I think. But it did used to be a bit longer, but every now and then I sit on the floor and I tread on it and break one of the buttons, <laughs> but stick it back together. So, and then in some of my paintings I do, I put this in, it's like a symbol of me. Mm. Um, so y you were really fascinated by all the partying stuff, um, but you weren't in, you had moved away from London. And then what, ha what brought you back up to reworking it? Charing Cross and oh, no, when I was involved in the club scene. 18 I went to college in Watford then as soon as I was 21 finished college I was back in London and I moved into a housing association in Kentish Town with you know some people I'd known from a long time ago and other new people and they used to go to the Blitz Club so I went there and, oh, and then I met I started working at the job centre in Camden and I met my first gay friend I'd never really had before <laughs> and he introduced me to the life of misbehaviour and I just took to it like a duck to water and it's funny, he ended up at head of um, Showbiz HR at the BBC. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know what it is. I just love going out. And you got a job at um, Taboo. Oh, yeah. The, you were the cash, cashier. Cashier, yeah. Because yeah. Lee Barrow's my best friend. So had you met Lee at that point? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I met him in heaven. 
And you know, he just clicked with someone straight away because although he was like a freak and weird, he had the same upbringing as me. He had like really, his parents were the Salvation Army in Australia. And we just got on really well. And that was it. So I worked, and he sort of started trying to change my life, which worked. But everything that happens to me, all the fantastic things happen to me, really, I can put down to knowing him. You know, even though he's been dead 25 years, he's still got that influence in my life. Um, tell me a bit about all the dressing up and the makeup. Were you wearing that as well? Well, or was it, were I wore my own little him? freaky way, but I wasn't as freaky as him. And that only real proper argument was when he tried to paint my lips. He always said, your lips are so small. And he tried to paint them bigger than they were. And I went mental. I goes, don't you dare do that to me. So I wore my own little style. But then um, we neither of us had any money, really. And I had a catalogue. Do you remember, like, the years of Littlewood's catalogues? Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious things. And he wants, when he wanted something like a washing machine or something, I'd buy it out of the catalogue. <laughs> then I'd pay it off monthly for him. Then he'd make me loads of dresses. And you'd go around and just throw something and go, oh, here are. And it was like a beautiful dress. Because he was like a fashion designer as well, well as a performance artist. Well, he started artist. off as a fashion designer, but he didn't. it was too much hard work. He didn't want to keep doing the sewing. And his clothes were so freaky, he more did commissions because they wouldn't really sell to normal people. But um, so I used to go to work in the job centre. It was his incident this time, in like these long flowing dresses that Lee made me. And then I kind of made friends with some of the young British artists. And they all used to sit on at the job centre. And they were going... Oh, you're you. We Which you. ones? Which young British um, artists? Was Wilson it? Twins, Sam Taylor Wood. I think there's the main two. Some others, but I can't remember who. <laughs> they're going, we always look at you and you look at your fantastic clothes. We wondered where you got them. So that was all bizarre. What was London like then? Oh, so grubby. So different to now. And like, you know, like at night you go out and the streets are packed. When you clubs finished at a three, which they always said there, it was completely deserted, not a soul to be seen. And I forget what it was like, but there's a film, because Michael, Michael Clark was my lodger, and there's a film, How the New Puritans, and when you look at London, now you, I still can't believe it was like that, because it looks really grim, and that was like in the mid-80s, and there's like people in the market who look like they come from the war, you know, old people, just in like, men in hats and old overcoats, really grey, and everything was plain and boring. I mean, I'm amazed, like, it's about a year since I've read, oh, no, soon I went around the West End. But the shops and the building and all the things, it's so different. Um, and you, you were sort of, you were, you were at the centre of this crazy club scene, yeah. full of people who, who were either well-known then or became well-known yeah, yeah. for their flamboyant dress sense. And in 1984, he had a show there, and loads of us went. It was Judy Blaine, Michael Clark. To where, sorry? New York. Oh, New York, yeah, right, so yeah. it was Judy Blaine, Michael Clark, Richard Haberley, other designers at the time who now work in other jobs, Greg Davis. Did Rachel no, I don't think Rachel Auburn came then. But so we started drinking we went by Air India and we bought a three litre bottle of vodka in duty free and drank it all on the fly. And Duty Blaine was so drunk, he just collapsed when we arrived at New York, <laughs> flat on his face in the you know, the foyer, no the whatever it's called, customs, and left all his jewellery, forgot to pick it up and had to go back and get it. We were just so excited by everything. It was lovely. Did he... What was his relationship like with Lee? Oh, it was fine. I think he fancied Trojan, you see. And they had the same surname, because it was Chris Who was Barnes. Trojan? He was Lee's um, friend. Who, that was, you know, when they first came out and dressed up, it was Lee and Trojan always together. But he died when he was 20, 
just before he was 21, drugs. And so I was alive in chats with Duty Blaine, but then he got really fancy. Posh. Really? <laughs> Not really, no, he didn't. He was always really lovely and always supportive and kind and just such a lovely person. Because I went to his memorial recently and it was heartbreaking hearing his voice and everything. Because, you know, I really wish when I knew he was ill, I'd sent him a message. Because I had cancer at the same time, but I'm fine, luckily. Yeah. So, but he was a lovely. But that was one of my third objects was going to be taboo nightclub. I don't know how you're actually going to put it in a cabinet. Can we do? Have you got? Have you got anything? Have you got any relics, um, souvenirs? I might or, have a dress or something. Can we photograph the dress? Yeah, that would be quite find it. amazing. But it was just like that changed my life with all those people I met, and I couldn't believe that I knew people on top. Yeah. Because I'd watch Top of the Pops all my life and every Thursday, <laughs> me and my dad would watch it and we do you know the at the end the top twenty we go like that if we liked it or not. <laughs> and me and my dad get up and dance the status quo. And it was just you know, the people I knew were actually on top of the pops. I couldn't believe it. It was just fantastic. And then you know the people at Taboo were up all night drinking and they just became fantastically talented and famous like you know, John Galliano and Hazy Fantasy and Boy George. He didn't go there that much because he was a bit famous by then, so he didn't go out so much because it was difficult for him. But you know, all these fashion designers and shoes designers, like Stephen Jones and Philip Treacy. It's just, yeah. It's bizarre. It was amazing. Yeah, but they always time. thought I was the weirdo because I worked in the job centre. Yeah, well, you had to have a day, you had the day job. I know. Yeah. So that was just like the most bizarre thing. But now I just always that's so grateful that. I met those people, and to this day, things like happen to me because of it. Boy George wrote a musical, Taboo, yeah. which was which was in the West End and went on to Broadway in yeah. New York. And you, you're I was a character. Can you believe yeah. that? Of course. Because in my mind, I have little things in my head that might happen to me, and they never happen. But the things that happen, I wouldn't even imagine would happen. Because would you ever think you'd be in a show on Broadway? You wouldn't, would you? But it was fantastic. Who paid you? Um, Oh, a nice lady, I can't even remember her name, but she's my friend on Facebook. But she could only play me for about three days because she was about eight months pregnant. Luckily, so she looked big. But then she went back and played me after. But she's like a Broadway star. And I've just discovered that the boy who played Boy George in it is now a big star in America, and his son plays young Sheldon. Okay. Have you ever seen Young Sheldon? No. Oh, it's a... Pu- it's a so who's the, who's the guy He's called who Ewan Morton. Right. He's English. Yeah. But he played Boy George here, then went and played him on Broadway. And Young Sheldon is a throwback from the Big Bang Theory, because the star Sheldon Cooper. And he plays, I'm always going, that boy's a fantastic actor. And I couldn't believe that he was his son. And he found that two days ago. Amazing. And weird, you know, just weird things happen all the time. Why do you think that is? Do you think I it's because you're... People always say to me, they said, you must have been born under a magic star. <laughs> do you think um, you're just one of those people that's open to opportunity? Do you say yeah, yes? Yes, to that is more? my saying in life, so yes. And because I'm not ambitious, I'm not pushy, things just happen. So it's pretty bizarre. But so, also, isn't it just because you like, you're like you one of those people that's just fun to have around and nice yeah. to have at a party? Yeah, because I'm no trouble. Because <laughs> I'm very I'm reliable as well. You know, like a lot of these people are very flaky. I'm very reliable and hard. You know, if I've told me to do something, I'll do it. Do you think have that having that balance during that that crazy clubbing time of having the, the job and having to work, do you think that kept you from going I, off the rails? I always say that to everyone, that having that proper job stopped me dying. I mean, you know, I'm not really... A, I don't think there's ever a chance of me dying of drug overdose or anything, or drink, because I know when to stop. Yeah. And 
but I think having that job it taught me how to be reliable, how to do things to deadlines, manage people. So as much as it wasn't my favourite job in the world, it kind of kept me sane. Mm. And other friends I've got who have proper jobs always say the same, that it stopped you going too far because you had to go up and go to work. And it does you a pension in your old age as well. Yeah. What did your parents think of you when you finally, when you were hanging out with all these people and you were sort of making a life out of, the, out of what you'd been <laughs> wanting to do as a teenager? Oh, I remember. <laughs> I mean, years ago, my dad's died now, but I found a letter he'd written to... Um, some distant relation in New Zealand. Yes, we're very proud of Susan. She does lots of things. She's written a book. It's not really our taste, though. It's rather avant-garde. <laughs> that made me laugh. Is that the Lee Barry book? Yeah. So you wrote that in 1997, was that published? Yeah. So was that after he died, passed yeah, away? Died, three or four years yeah. after he died. And what was that like, the process of writing it? Well, I didn't, you know, because I'd never written a book before. So I, don't, so I went and got a, a very cheap, old, one of the first computers, a little Mac. And luckily we used computers at work so I knew a bit what to do and then I just thought what shall I do then I'm not very good at keeping things in dates so I thought I'll do little chapters about this and that and I went and interviewed my friends and they reminded me about things and then all kind of things I do tend to be organic and I didn't really plan it but I thought oh I can have a chapter on fashion a passion on his sex life a you know chapter on his thing and then when I got a new story I just chopped and changed it and the publisher was only down the road and you couldn't really email things in because oh, yeah. I was running up and down the road with new sheets of paper for them. Who were the people that you were talking to about for um, the interview for it? John Mabry, my friend Bailey Walsh, who's now make I've got all these people, like John Mabry, Bailey Walsh make films, Rufa Osbeck, um, Geoffrey Hinton and Princess Julie, who'll be upstairs very soon. She's coming for your lunch that you're yeah. having upstairs <laughs> yeah. after this. Yeah. yeah, so it was like... It was so enjoyable sitting yeah. chatting with them and talking about. We love talking about the old days, but I still yeah. like to live in the future as well. I don't. I'm not stuck there like a lot of people are. In the past. Yeah. Yeah. I like to move on a bit. Yeah. Um, and did they ever make a film of that book, or they're going well, to wait? Talks? Wait for this. Yes, the film is in produ not production. It's in development. <laughs> And it was about my book of Lee, but it suddenly turned into a film about me instead. Oh, fantastic. So I'm like, I saw the producer last night, who's just become the head of BAFTA, the chairman of BAFTA. So it's all, and there's a fantastic couple called um, Ian and Jane, they're a bit gothy, and they did a film about Nick um, Cave, but they're fantastic. But, I kept, but when I was younger, I'd have been, you know, so excited, I couldn't believe, I'd have been ecstatic, but now I just think, oh yeah, I've got a film being <laughs> But they still haven't got the money for the production yet, but they've got all the development money. So will that feature you in the film? Um, I don't know, someone will have to play me. Would you like to be in it? I'm not very good at acting, even though I'll be acting as myself. Yeah. <laughs> but I might be in myself at the end. Yeah. I'm rubbish at acting. What else would you put in our cabinet upstairs? Two things. Red lipstick. Any brand in particular you like? At the moment I've got Ruby Woo Mac. Max really my go-to. And there's one in particular called Lady Danger that's a very orangey red. It's just the name of it and everything. Who's that one by? Mac. But it's just the name's hilarious. And I remember in the East End, I'm going to a party and just putting it on. Then boy was making me run in front of cars just for a joke because I was wearing Lady Danger. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a very nice bright orange colour. And in fact, Julia was wearing it the other day when she came down to Hastings. I can always tell that it's Lady Danger. She comes down to see you? Yeah. It's hilarious. I see my friends now I've moved far more than I ever did here because they just come and visit because they like it there. 
Because when I, I just went, moved there on a whim, because I went to see my friends, and we were sitting in this cafe, I thought, oh, there's quite a lot of interesting looking people here. It's unbelievable. Just sit on the beach, watching the people go by. At least one in ten's nuts. <laughs> and they love a, you know, they love a, Rockabilly looks very popular, and yeah. it's just a lovely place. And everyone you talk to, you think, oh, they might be quite ordinary. The stories they tell makes me seem very tame. You know, it's bizarre. But I couldn't, it was just a whim. I moved there, and it was the whim that just worked out best in the world. Um, why did you feel like you had to move away from London? Well, I didn't. I, I, I didn't really like my flat. I lived in Roman Road, and the flat was like a real ex council flat, and it was really small. And then when I moved, went to my friends, I thought it's nice here, but no thought of moving. I made the mistake of looking on right move. And the flats are so fantastic and gorgeous and huge. So I've got the flat. Because of when I was six, I think, because I'd young, I'd lived in Paddington in this huge house. In my mind, I felt that's where I belonged. And so I found the most amazing flat. It was half the price of my council flat in London. Three times as big, ten times more gorgeous, garden, everything. You can see it. it was in the Observer. I did. I oh, saw did that. you see it? Yeah, yes, I like flat. the interiors. Yeah. Yes. How long did that take for you to make it look nice, like, like that? About three months. Really? People that's going, good. How'd you get done so quick? I don't know. But I just got builders in. Then it normally orders. takes ages. I know. That. So you are good at organising, obviously. You're yes. That's, I think I must be because yeah. of my work. Yeah. Um, so you said so you're going to put red lipstick in there. Was, did you? Was there something else? You said the two one soon. thing is a red. Do you know Kim Jones? Who runs and um, yeah, because yeah. he became friends with me. I thought, who's this person? I didn't know who he was, and then it all came out who he was. And he's so kind to me and lovely because he loves Lee and loves the eighties. And I did, went to a show in Paris, and he gave me this Chapman Brothers blanket. It's bright red and it's so beautiful. It's in the pictures in my flat on my bed, and it's just lovely. And it, to the colour about it, everything, I just adore it. And some of my paintings, I've painted it and put it in. And then I ended up working for fashion as well. You're talking about the Fendi? Fendi, thing. yeah. So who was, was that? That? who was the blanket? Was that by oh, Kim? Kim, it was Louis by... Vuitton. Oh, Louis Vuitton. But the yeah. pictures, paintings were by the Chapman Brothers. And then, um, yeah, so let's tell me about the Fendi. Well, that was a bizarre. Cause you know, have you heard of Julian Gagneau? He's like no. a top stylist. He liked stars for everybody. Yeah. And I'm friends with him, and he came to one of my art shows and loved my pictures. He's always liked me. He likes a chubby person, so that's probably why. And he goes, oh, I'm working with Fendi. Do you want to do something? I'm thinking, what? That's just ridiculous. And he goes, oh, come on, do it. And they, it was bizarre, because I was just moved into my flat. I was sitting in my spare bedroom, surrounded by boxes, and they were just sending photos over from a meeting in Fendi in Rome, saying, can you draw this? I draw it. Take a picture of my phone, fax it back. Then they ended up on all the clothes. And it was just, I went over to the fashion show and I thought we'd be on about five things and it was on absolutely everything. Did you meet Carl Lagerfeld? No, he wasn't there. But then I forgot who I know. So I was sitting backstage and, I for, and all the, like, the fashion writers, and I knew them all, but I'd forgotten that I knew them. <laughs> so that was, it was bizarre. But he comes, he was down this weekend at um, Hastings. Julian Gagneau. Was he? Yeah, he so he came to see you as well? Or? Yeah, and then in the week he came down again because he was in my friend Wayne's pub where I work. He was doing a fashion shoot with um, Catherine Hamnett. So she's been down there as well. But I thought, when I thought I moved there, I thought my whole glamorous life would finish. It would all be over and I'd just sit and watch the telly. No. It's even more nicer. It's all happening in Hastings. Yeah. Like Kathy Burke come to my flat to film me for a programme. 
Imagine, I'm thrilled. <laughs> what's it, Kathy Burke up to? What's, what's she making? Well, she's doing a programme about what? She doesn't like acting anymore, she can't oh, bear right. it. It was a pro. You know the um, Grace and Perry things about men? This is one about women. And she's making it? Yeah. But she'd been ill, but oh. she's better now. That's good. But she's such a lovely, she's hilarious. And that was, oh, everyone in St. Because everyone knows it. Where I live, the gossip is unbelievable. We saw that's Kathy what Burke. Happens. We saw that's Kathy what Burke happens in, in those street. small places. I know. It's perfect for me. Perfect. Because <laughs> well, you like a gossip. Oh, I love a story. <laughs> and I love, and there's a, a big dating scene for the older people there as well. And it all, everyone talks about it. No hiding. You know, lots of people try and be cool. Oh, there's none of that. Everything's shared with everyone. Are you dating? Oh, no. I can't, oh, I can't be bothered. <laughs> I've had offers. Let's go, no, thank you. Have you always been single? Yeah, I've never really properly lived with someone. I don't know why. But it's not that like someone who's got away or anything. I think I'm, I just, I just like my own Spain. People get on my wick quite quickly. Fair enough. <laughs> um, can we go back a bit and then, so I wanted to talk to you about Lucian Freud. Oh yeah, I forgot obviously, that one. I've got that story. Obviously, yeah. yeah. Um, I think Lee Bowery introduced he did. you to him, to yeah. Lucian Freud, because Lee was being painted by yeah. him. Um, and then you subsequently became yeah. a, a became model. Top muse. Was it a life model? Yeah, top muse, yeah, you were. Yeah. Yeah. Top muse, was yeah. It, um, and, and Lee... I don't like the word muse. So, yeah, was it... I was the... a bit wafty, like you've got TB or something. I'm in love with them, not like that. So you posed for four, four paintings, portraits, yes. portraits in the early 90s. Yes. Um, naked. Yes. At, and which they were painted at his house in yeah. Holland Park. yeah. How long did these paintings Each take? Each painting took about nine months, about three sittings a week. And how long was a sitting? Seven hours. Had breaks though. Yeah. My favourite bit was going out for lunch. Did he take you out yeah. for lunch? In his Rolls Royce, a golden Bentley. <laughs> <laughs> and he was such the worst driver in the whole wide world. It was so hilarious. But he was, you know, I would say, go on telly, he'd be so hilarious, but he wouldn't. And then when he, you've seen, I've seen bits of him filmed, he seems like really nervous and shy. He could be the most hilarious person you've ever met. Mm. But I wish I'd paid more attention, really, when I was doing it, kept a diary or something, but I didn't. Yeah. How are you able to sit still like that for such a long, I don't such know, long period of time? I don't know, but it's very, very useful when you mm. go on a long haul flight. <laughs> <laughs> I learned a lot. Because I'm quite generally, you know, I'm not really lazy, but I like lying about, so I was, you know, it was perfect, yeah. really. And then... The painting that sold for the most before it sold it, the owner's So hang on, it. how much, it's, I've written this down, it sold for, you, do you mean benefit supervisor sleeping? Which is I never you. know the difference. The first one, the one that made the world record. For, yeah, yeah, that one. That one, so hang on, no, benefit supervisor sleeping. Yeah. yeah. That, so that's a record, right, yeah. it was bought by Roman Abramovich in 1995. Yeah. And it was he the largest amount paid for a painting by a living artist. Yeah. 17 million pounds. Yeah. The next one went for about 35 million. But he, um... It used to live in a house in um, St John's Wood, and I went round there once, and it was fantastic. It was in their telly room. I thought nothing could be more perfect. <laughs> I was lying there watching television with them. <laughs> but you know, when I think about it, sometimes, you know, I think, oh, the people are going to shops. I think, oh, she's a bit rough around here. And I think probably I'm worth about hundred million pounds. I think you are. Although I've got no pennies myself to rub so together. So you were, he, paid, he just paid you a, um, yeah. a, a daily rate. Yeah, but then um, when that took was, me out for hundred quid, I about that. Yeah. yeah, then took me out for lunch, hundred pound lunch at the River Cafe. And I was, I was saying, nice. experiences are better than money. That's why I've never got any money. But I don't care. 
There's no point getting bitter and twisted about things. But, um, yeah. Are you still in touch with his family or was it just your relationship? Were you just in touch with him? Well, it's his daughter sometimes, I see, and sometimes his, not his, his assistant, David. I see oh, sometimes, yeah. Yeah, David Dawson, he's very nice. Do you feel a connection to the image of you that's painted when you see it? Or do you, do you feel like that is you or it's not you? No, you I would think it's someone it? else. I don't really think about it. But then even, then sometimes I catch a glance of something in the mirror. Like yesterday, I was getting changed on my bed and I thought, oh, those legs look just like that picture. I'm like, oh, they are. <laughs> if I spend a week on a painting, I think that's a long time. Mm. And to do it in such detail, and it's, it sounds he might do like 10 brush strokes a day because every brush stroke was so perfect and thought about. And he'd just stare at you like his eyes would pop out of his head staring at you to get a better look. And like this, just do it all. Straight. Did he tell you what to do or did you just sit in a way well, and no, that was it? You just sat the in first the one I was told what to do. And to be honest, after two days I thought I might die because I was lying on the floor and it was so uncomfortable. I was thinking, I can't do it. Okay, then, yes, you can. You can do anything. Don't be daft. You can do it. So I did, which worked out. And then I had a break for a year because I went to India and got suntan, which he can't bear. And I went back and he goes, oh, he bought this sofa for me, which is very nice. Make yourself comfortable. So I did. <laughs> but then he used to fish me about. But, you know, the last three were fine. They were perfectly comfortable to do. Um, what did Lee think about your when you became such a popular model? Well, he died by then, which is just as well, because he would have been so bitter <laughs> and so jealous. <laughs> no, but he liked to be the top dog. But he, at the same time, he would have made it about him. Yeah. And he, every interview I'd done and everything, he'd come with me and tell me what to wear. He would have, you know, he'd been so bossy. But I remember I went to an exhibition in Saint Paul de Vence of Lucien and Francis Bacon, and there was like these three great big pictures of me. There was only one tiny one of him like that. I thought it would be so bitter. <laughs> <laughs> but you'd be jolly about it, as I said, make it about him. Are you comfortable naked then? Oh, not really. No, no. I'm not really. A, Naked person. Like when I was at Lucian's house, there was no one there but me and him. If I went to the toilet, I put something around me, although it was just us there. Yeah. But I went back there a couple of years ago to the flat because someone had bought it. I was thrilled just to see what it was like. We kept the floor the same, so all the paint was did on the studio floor, which was like, although it was his sort of lounge. But it was weird because I'd kind of forgotten what it was like. Yeah. But it was hilarious because Lucian used to pretend. You used to try and put ideas in your head. Susan, you don't really know where I live, do you? You wouldn't tell anyone. I went, well, I do kind of know because I come here every day. <laughs> he kind of tried to persuade me I didn't know where it was and I just appeared there, <laughs> which was odd. But um, I like to say it was a, the biggest, the most publicity-hungry hermit you could ever meet. Really? Yeah, because if he was in the papers, he was thrilled. And, you know, when a new picture came out, I'd make sure it got in the papers and everything. And once I got there and there was a paper, the Daily Mail laid out in front of me. And it was a big double page spread. Is this the world's greatest lover? All about Lucian. And he went, I went, oh. I said, I can't believe this. He went, oh, oh, uh, is that where he is? I thought I'd thrown it away. But really, he <laughs> laid it out for me to look at. But I like I could see through his little tricks. <laughs> But it was funny. But I think he got ten copies. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you, you've become an artist. Yes. Another bizarre thing. Yeah. So I met a boy, not romantic, just very good friends. Because I was doing modelling for the kids' company. 
bizarrely. But I said, I'm keeping my clothes on. And then the teacher brought a nude model along. And we made friends. And he wasn't just a nude model, he was an artist. And he was doing the modelling to sort of do his work. And it was all part of it. So, he went to so you were modelling for other people yeah, as well? Yeah, with my Lucian. clothes on. But only right. for a special thing. You know, I so don't Lucian's do it normally. the only one you've modelled nude Proper. for? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then a the girl recently, that's why I was in the flat, she did a photographic montage, Charlotte Colbert. But generally, but now I've only got one breast. So I think I'm mortified to take my clothes off. When did you have cancer? About two years ago. But to be honest, when I was a child, I was a, that was the thing I was petrified of getting. Remember I got here, why it was fine. I don't know, did I had an idea in my head. Relatives have it? No. <laughs> and I think, no, it was, I think I, my mum told me that a friend at school had got broken her leg and then she had her leg amputated and died of cancer. And I broke my arm and in my mind I was convinced I was going to die. And for years, cancer was on the telly. I'd leave the rooms. So my mum and dad weren't embarrassed that I had cancer. <laughs> I didn't have it at all. Then when I did get it, I couldn't believe myself because I just was so calm. I didn't even cry once. I just went through it all, no trouble whatsoever. And I even bought a nice armchair to put by my bed so when I was ill, people could sit there. Never even took to my bed. <laughs> so that was weird. Even when I went to see the doctor the other week, I went, oh, I have to say, I wasn't nearly as bad as I thought. And she went, I think you're the first person who's ever said that. But I didn't have chemotherapy, so that was lucky. That was good. So I caught it quite early. Yeah. yeah. So I was fine. But I might have it reconstructed, but it's such a big operation. It's like 10 hours, and you're sort of, Ill, you know, not yourself for about three months. I don't know if I can be bothered. I'll think about it next year. Mm. But um, then I had cancer on my leg. <laughs> This year I had skin, I had an skin on my leg. Yeah, I had skin cancer on my legs, so I had a great chunk chopped out of that. But that's fine as well. I've had some, since I've moved to the seaside, I've had bizarre illnesses. I'm glad I was there, not in London, because they've been so lovely on the NHS. Yeah, you can see doctors quicker down there. It's well. amazing. Yeah. I know, just ring up and go, come now. Yeah. So you're like a great survivor. I am. I should yeah. be like, beyond, no, yeah, what the Destiny's Chime or something. You are. Yeah. Um, and you've got a, uh, an exhibition. Yes, open yesterday opened. at New Art Projects in Sheep Lane in Bethnal Green. In East London. Yeah. And it's called Transformations. Yeah. Tell me a bit about that. Well, the, he really told me what to do. I know, it's a bit, he said paint pictures of Lee. Who and, said that? Oh, the, Fred. Fred. Fred Mann, Mann yeah. he's the owner of the gallery. Yeah. yeah. And I love being told what to do. Do you? Yes. Well, sometimes really I do and sometimes I don't, but I like how someone tells me to do something and I'll do it. I'm much better than thinking of something myself. Sometimes I'll, you know, I'll do both. That's the thing with me, so I'm happy with both things. So, um, that was quite easy, I enjoyed it. And I was pleased with my pictures How many as well. pieces have you got in there? Ten. So they're paintings of Lee, or inspired well, by Lee? I think four are me, two are Trojan and four are Lee. But I'm... Sometimes I'm not that overly pleased with what I've done, but I was really pleased with these. Because, you know, when I had my first exhibition, you know, I hadn't painted for years. And when I think now that people bought, I, I was mortified to think about what they bought. It seemed terrible. But now I'm quite proud of them. Do you have a studio at your house? Or where do, well, you, the hall. Where do you paint? I've got a massive, huge hall. So I paint it my life, but in my hall. But the thing is, everything's a bit yellow, because I do it. <laughs> The electric light and so it bleaches out the yellow and then when I put it in the day I think oh well I think but that's part of me that's what I'm doing it's part of the story because I like to think my pictures are more than the picture it's what you're thinking at the time and what's going on and mm. Mm. okay well thank you so much for coming to talk to us is there anything else you've got in, in the in the 
in the works that we need to know oh, about any more think, exhibitions? exhibitions? You've got your film, you might be film, yeah, film. It's you maybe, might... um... Any more exhibitions? Not at the moment. But you, you what, you don't just like you're getting on summer holiday? Oh, no, I'm really going. I don't need to where I live. It's yeah. so lovely. It's gorgeous there. So I'll just have my holiday there. I don't know. I just That's the thing. I don't plan. I just wait. And then someone will ring. I'm going, do you want to do this again? Oh, all right then. Okay. I just forget what I'm doing. <laughs> all right. Thanks. Oh, to, thank you so much. You, that was lovely. Cheers, thank you. That was an episode of The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion podcast. You can find more episodes and more about Five Carlos Place on the Matches Fashion website, and you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at Matches Fashion, at Matches Fashion Man, and the hashtag Five Carlos Place. Thanks for listening.